I've learned the produce of Australia. It's absolutely fantastic. Australia have got such a unique resource of that. Seafood is phenomenal. I mean, oysters are, for me, the, the best oysters in the world in Australia. I, I got extremely shocked, actually. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. In the 90s and early 2000s, French cuisine, led by a swag of incredible French bistros, were a dominant feature of Sydney's restaurant landscape. As our culinary landscape evolved, the colour and energy of many Asian cuisines took over and ran a new thread through the city. But in recent years, French made its presence felt again, thanks to some incredible operators. Antoine Moskowitz is the chef and owner of Bellevue Cottage by Antoine. Antoine, how are you going? Yeah, pretty well, thank you. Very well. You, uh, almost a decade ago, uh, opened your first French bistro in uh, Sydney's suburbs, Antoine's Grill. Um, what's, what's French bistros been like from your perspective in Australia in the last decade? Look, I think um, I think French bistro is um, a bit more sophisticated than what it used to be, um, but it's still, you know, it's um, you know reflecting like you know simple food, um, French, you know, French classic, um, and you know I think the involvement with the US you know, has been pretty pretty phenomenal. But when I first first opened, I think it was really. I was really going back to the basic, and I think quickly we had to really sort of step up, considering the uh, the, the the crazy food I've seen there. A couple of years into that restaurant, you were voted as one of the best French restaurants in Sydney. What was that like at the time? And um, tell us a bit about what you were doing at the restaurant, which made it so special. Oh, look, you know, I think we were um, just really sort of a pushing hard, being, you know, away from all the the heap happening in Sydney, you know, away from the, you know, the CBD and Surrey Hills. And we were like, really had to push hard to, you know, some people were questioning me as well. Why, why are you in Concord? Why are you so far from everyone? And, and I think just that already gave me that motivation, motivation to really sort of a push and, you know, show that we can, you know, we can try to even on that, you know, that those location, like there's people actually enjoying, you know, really top food. And, um, and it was just, it was great. It was a great reward. It was absolutely fantastic. You're originally from Paris. Take us back to your youth. What was food like for you as a kid? Look, food for us, I mean, for my family, was the only, only way to connect. So that was really the, uh, you know, the, the only thing that uh, we would do with the family. We were not going to, you know, football or share any other thing. It was really like a, a ritual every Sunday or every, every second Sunday. So, yeah, so classic, classic Sunday with the dishes, the family is, um, and it definitely was, uh, you know, the lamb was king. So it was, you know, a couple of leg of lamb, a couple of leg sh- shoulder of lamb, um, all the garnishes was really all beans, you know, from green beans to white beans, um, cooking different way, different style. Um, you know, all the appetizers and uh, all the aperitif, everyone was sort of uh, showing the, the skill from, you know, a little pate and, uh, and bread, all the, all, you know, all the, all the fillers that you can have um, just before entering the, uh, you had a couple of leg of lamb, both my grandma were fighting about the, uh, about who's, had the best dessert pretty much. So we were like, you know, they were so showing their skills, showing off. 
sometimes ending up into an argument as well and you know but uh, but that was quite it was quite quite fun but it's good 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 memories around that good memories around that what led to a decision to become a chef look um Funny as it seems, um, I never thought I was going to become a chef. And I remember I was 15 years old, back in the trend from school. And one of my friends was, you know, talking about dropping school, becoming a chef. And it just clicked in my head. I'm like, wow, I think it's, it's unusual to be a chef. Um, let's give it a crack. And I enrolled the next year, dropped school. And wow, that was a big, uh, a big step. And three months later, from being 15 years old, do what you do at 15 years old, you end up, um, you know, in the back uh, back of the restaurant um, at minus 10 degrees training a fish stock and uh, working 10, 12 hours and you still, you know, understand, try to understand what's going on. And uh, and it took me a good year to realize where I was putting my, you know, where I was going to put my feet into and and just realize that, well, this is very different. It's going to be serious now. What was some of the uh, really integral uh, restaurants that you worked at in, in France in those early years? Look, the, the first, first restaurant I worked, they were borderline. They were fighting for the past three, four years for the first Michelin star. And that's where it was very intense. When you try to reach that level, you know, you want your first hat, you want your first Michelin star. You put everything into it. You're getting ready. And this is the first restaurant. It was only seafood, only fish. And... Um, and that was quite, that was quite fantastic. So the first restaurant where I spent two, three years, I was working in uh, in same time. I was a dreamer, like everyone, dreaming of wow, I want to experience the Michelin star restaurant. So I was, I was working extra on the Saturday evening and a Saturday during the day actually, into a restaurant called um, uh, Jacques Cagnat in the seventh quarter of Paris. So he will, he had these two Michelin stars for a long, long time. And for me, there was like. Uh, in the movie Ratatouille, you know, you go in and everyone's dressing all the whites. It's completely street. You go section, chef de party, pastry chef. And, and it was just absolutely phenomenal. Um, I mean, restaurant, of course, when uh, not only in France, but after spending, you know, those, those few years in France, four or five years. Um, I mean, in Australia, it was just definitely big, big experience as well here. So I went, I went, sorry, I just traveled. I went, so back to Australia where I spent a few years and went back to Paris and definitely spending time at uh, the Plaza Ateneuise and Andrew Cass was, uh, again, different world. Well, tell us a bit about what it was like working with Alain Ducasse and how different that kitchen was. <sighs> yeah, look, you jumping into a world of uh, extremely strict um Politically organized, um, it's it's a tough environment. It's you enjoy it. It's uh, it's uh, it's very unique, very unique um, in the way where everything just goes in place at the same place. Every every dish is calculated mathematically. It has to be a copy of everything that you do. It needs to be perfect, and you have people to make sure that everything is perfect. And that was yeah, it's it's intense, but in the same time, it's uh, it's 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 very interesting. What did you take away from your experience working there? Well, look, I took away that um, that I think it's uh, sometime. I think I took away that look, spend some time in those places, but not too long. I would say spend take what you can and move away 
with that knowledge that, you know, as much as you try to have everything perfect, sometimes, you know, to have a, a burn hand on the meat, it sometimes makes the dish. And, and this is what I sort of realized that, look, you know, it's time to, you know, fly and try to see a bit of a new, different horizon. But, but that's fantastic. I mean, I've got, we've got, I've got people who start Alain Ducasse when they, they're 16 and they're still there now and they're 45, you know. You've also worked as a, a private chef. Um, tell us how different that is working in that vocation compared to a commercial kitchen. Yes, yeah, so look, that was a good look. When I finished actually at Alain Ducasse, I mean, the pay was so poor that we've, um, I got introduced actually into into that uh, the house of Louis Audrey, which was very prestigious. And just to jump in, like, that's a, um, it was, you know, smaller kitchen. Um, most of the time you're on your own or you have a couple of guys working with you. Um, it's you, basically you're the face of the, of the whole thing. So everything that you do, um, you can't really blame anyone. So you into a situation where you got phenomenal supplier and being a private chef, these, the people that I work for there, it's, it's an extravagance every day, but the lifestyle is definitely different. Are there any uh, events or occasions from that period of time when you were a private chef that really stand out for you that you can tell us about? Yeah, look, in, uh, in France, I was working for um, the name of the person is called the Dr. Russo. So he was the owner of the Cristal Champagne, where there were a few wineries were in France, and he was the, the head of the member of the Clubs of the Hundred. So the Club of the Hundred, very, very fortunate, were fortunate people, um, rich people in Europe. And they meet, they meet every, every Thursday, either in Maxime or, I mean, are I still there or, sorry, here's some echoes. So they, and those guys used to meet every every Thursday into a really, um, either at Maxime or La Tour d'Argent and all those restaurants. They were actually discussing the, the you know, the, the Michelin star. They were discussing, you know, who's going to be next on the list, uh, putting a bit of pressure on the, on the Michelin. And that was, that was fantastic because we used to host those events of the Club of the Hundred um, once a year. And this was, it was fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And, and then and another, um, just a quick story as well. We've done um, the, um, um, the presidential in the U.S. I worked as well in the U.S. as a private chef. And we've done the, uh, when uh, uh, Giuliani, some party politics, was, uh, were running for the presidential. It was quite unique to be in that kind of environment because it was just absolutely hectic. Do you have any stories from, from that uh, in the U.S. that you can share? Yeah, so look, in the U.S., the, the, the people I was to, used to work for, they used to be really into uh, uh, the political game and they used to receive a lot of very uh, um, exclusive guests and, uh, and over three properties. So we had a property in, uh, in Crystal Bay in Lake Tahoe, property in Belvedere Island, and of course in uh, San Fran- downtown San Francisco. Um, it was just, um, you know, from fundraising and 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 the food had to be impeccable. You, we, we had people coming and trying the food. Um, secret services just checking everything to make sure there's no, <laughs> there's no, no hick in the kitchen. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so that was quite an interesting time. What sort of food were you cooking in, in these roles? Can you give us an idea of where you were at as a, as a chef at that time? 
Look, at that time, actually, that's where actually really I became myself. I had the luxury of uh, trying everything every day um, if I wanted to perfect. Uh, I didn't understand I was like cooking lobster for a while. I'm like, okay, my lobster is chewy every time. I don't understand why. I'm doing everything perfect, not happy. And I had the luxury of just buying lobster every day and trying and screwing it up every day and keep trying it. And and this was actually the beauty. I'm, um, the, 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 we were actually pushing the, the, those people. They've been everywhere and they tested everything. So they they can't even cook an egg, but they will tell you if the egg is cooked perfectly. <laughs> so so that, that 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 was actually a bit more intense than what I thought. What led to you coming down to Australia? Um, look, there's there's two things. You know, I was uh, when in in my twenties before two thousand. I was dreaming like a lot of French guy, you know, to go to Florida and I studied uh, Cuban cuisine. I wanted to go to Miami. I had everything ready for me. It was there Miami? Let's go see the palm trees and and the life. And 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 I met my uh, partner through the watch here in uh, in uh, in Bali over a trip in Bali. And I'm like, oh wow, Australia is not too bad after all. And uh, and. I moved to Australia, forgot Florida, and after you know a visa of a year, I quickly got a sponsorship here at the at the Sheraton in the city, and and then stay you know five six years. How different were the kitchens in Australia compared to what you were used to back in France? Look, it was I, I didn't work at an Educast before that, and it was quite um, it was pretty well organized actually. It was. Um, I was from the world in France where you, the hours are not counting. So you know that you're there. You will spend 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 hours. There's, there's, you don't have schedule. Um, in Australia, I remember, especially at the Sheraton on the park, it was Antoine, you start at 7, you will be done at 2.30. And 2.30 is 2.30. And, um, and I remember I used to, and I want to push, I want to stay, I want to get on. And... Um, and it was pretty organized. It's the first time when I was in Australia that we got uh, mixed leaves in a box. Um, carrots prepared, potatoes prepared, garlic prepared, fish in fillet, portion control. And I'm like, what's going on? I'm, 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 I'm not sure. I wasn't, I wasn't really ready for that organization, which is great. But that was a big jump from, from the classic French to the organized Australian style modern way of, of cooking. Having grown, grown up with the produce of France, in a produce sense, what excited you about Australia? Yeah, look, look, it's um, I've I've learned the produce of Australia. And I think I think it's it's absolutely fantastic. There's a there's a lot of product that we don't have access, that we have access in Europe and vice versa. There's a lot of product that we don't have access in France that we have access in Australia. And there's no better or I think Australia have got such a unique resource of that seafood is phenomenal. I mean, oysters are, for me, the, the best oysters in the world are in Australia. Um, and it's, um, yeah, I got extremely, I, I got extremely shocked, actually. Before you opened your own restaurant, you worked in a couple of venues uh, in Sydney. Tell us about those kitchens and and what it was like for you uh, working in Sydney? Look, best experience I ever had in my life was with uh, um, Luke Mangan at Salt in 2000. 
which was the peak of 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 salt restaurant and I uh, absolutely love it. And this was really, in my career, uh, I never worked with such a best team. Luke was fantastic. I was with, I see Morgan McGlone was there. Mark, Mark Holm was there. So many young guys, absolutely loved it. Everyone was so dedicated to what they were doing. Everyone was trying everyone's food. It was so creative. It was, for me, this was the best year, best two years actually of my career was at Salt. Absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. It won many accolades uh, in its time. What was so special about it? It was just the place to be. It was just the cooking was so modern, cutting edge. It was, um, I loved it. The whole, the whole restaurant, the stuff on the floor, um, the dress code, absolutely loved it. The, the small martini bar that we had where we had a special, you know, a martini degustation was done extremely well. The degustation for a fixed bar at the back was fantastic. Uh, absolutely. So I love those flavors as well. Luke was really um, using this, you know, like Vietnamese mint with scallops and and dark. It was just really, really clever. Um, I think it was one of the first who using all the Indian spices as well into that French Japanese cooking. Absolutely loved it. Absolutely phenomenal. In 2012, you opened uh, your first French bistro, which we talked about at the top of the show. But tell us about the creation of Antoine's Grill and and why you settled on on Concord and what it was like trying to build such a great restaurant in the suburbs. Look, I've, um, I, I, I was you know as a as a dreamer, I was looking for a restaurant in in the city, you know, in the CBD, and and we we looked and and the business partner that I had at the time. We looked extremely hard. We looked for months, and nothing was available, uh, unless you were, you know, rent was astronomical. And we looked. I walked the street of Sydney many, many days just to look for the right venue, and we couldn't find anything. And we, we almost gave up. And living at Concord at the time, I came across that little busy street of Majors Bay Road, which is, you know, cafes and and uh, and chicken shop. A very suburban style uh, street and I came across that tiny tiny hidden spot and I thought I look you know what let's give it a crack here and let's see what you know let's sort of practice here and uh, and God the weather ride after from being a chef to a business owner this was the big slap this was oh my god tell us about what some of the challenges were in the early days of transferring from just being a chef to business owner as well uh, this is, like I said, it's not only a slab, but the riders begin. This, I, I, look, I wasn't ready. It, exactly what I, you know, have to, you know, even when you have your first kid, doesn't matter how many books you read, how many classes you do, anything, you are absolutely never ready until it comes, comes to life. And, and the restaurant, I absolutely had no clue from spending 12 or 13 hours creating dishes, perfecting dishes and the sous vide and, Fringes, baby herbs, and all that to suddenly being on charge and responsible for um, the leaving of you know four or five stuff in the kitchen, four or five stuff on the floor, the wine, the knowledge, the computer, the system, if, if absolutely went went crazy. So so forget about the cooking. Um, you have to read. It was just look. It, it was madness. I'm not gonna lie. It was just really, you know. It was absolutely, you know, and uh, and yeah. So that was this was a definitely a big uh, a big ride. 
Well, it really became a, a hub of the community and and became known as one of Sydney's best fresh re- French restaurants. Tell us about the food that you were cooking and why you think it was so successful. Look, first, when when, when we first began, we thought, oh, let's have a bit of an American twist and do a bit of a barbecue and these. So the the first menu was actually, when I look at the first menu, when the first few weeks, it was extremely, extremely basic because I had absolutely no time to focus on the food. Everything was just chewing up my time. So we were really simple and straightforward and, and slowly, slowly, everything sort of went into place and we're starting to um, develop the food around that sort of concept. We really had a big part of uh, perfecting meat um, and the grill side. And that's what really, I think, we're taking people around this, uh, this, this area and, this, um, and in that suburb because you could have yeah, a bit of a fancy French, a bit of a bistro, but in some time you could have your, your nice steak. And, and I just wanted to make sure it's not becoming an occasional restaurant but really a restaurant that you can come back one, twice, three times a week. And we had such a huge response from the, from the local in Concord. How have you seen Australian food, the, the Australian food scene change since you've been here? Um, funny thing, it's um, in the past 10 years, it's been really going um, up and up and up and up. And uh, always that strong Asian influence I mean, all that, you know, the barbecue and smokehouse. And I mean, that, you know, I've, with, you know, with very big pleasure the past two, three years, really, I think, seen now find its own identity. I think before it was really looking at what's going on in America, what's the latest trend here and there. And certainly you can see the same business, the same model in Australia. And now Australia really have that identity of, of what's makes Australia cooking. And I think it's recognized everywhere in the world. I mean, there's always those big restaurants doing phenomenal food um, and even small bistros and cafe now. I mean, you can get some phenomenal brunch in Sydney. Um, it's, uh, you know, well, well done to all those people, all the, all the, all the hard work because it's, it's, um, it's fantastic. With all these great restaurants that have emerged, well, how do you see a good night in a restaurant for you? The funny thing, when you go to, you know, a two hat and a three hat, the, the, the hardest thing is you have so much expectation. You expect so much, um, not only because you, you know you're going to pay, you know you, you're just winning. There's so much pressure from, from the guy to the hat, to, and you expect always more, always, always more. And sometimes, you know, I, lo- I love getting surprised. And when you go to a little bit more humble restaurant, even a hat restaurant who's pushing hard for a second hat or a cafe, really trying to push to, to, to be into the, the, the restaurant and, and getting, getting surprised um, by, you know, that some, some new dishes and, and new flavor, it's really exciting. I mean, the, the past two, three years, you can see there's some Afghanistan twists, some Afghan twists, some in modernized Indian and, 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 and when restaurant appears, you have some chef introducing that into really fine dining kind of a scene, and that's, I think it's great. These days you have Bellevue Cottage by Antoine. It's a stunning old building. Tell us a bit about the site and what, what you're doing there. So Yeah, so the site was, uh, has been a bit of a journey. We were, um, I was looking for a new site, moved um, from, um, from um, Concord, and um, 
we've um, yeah looked the site, fell in love with the site. Uh, it was on for tender, and and again that was a bit of a journey. With uh, it took us over a year and a half to get the building, um, another two years to get the right DA because at the beginning the um, the city of Sydney owned the building, and the restriction was actually insane. You couldn't have a uh, a phone number for a booking. Um, you had to close at 3 p.m. No liquor license. Um, 30 people max. It was it was crazy. It was such a tease to have that phenomenal place on the water, one of the best location in Sydney, um, and and so much restriction. I mean, the first time we had, I think, nearly 80 uh, opposition letter from the local against RDA, and and now. We've got hundreds of letters for us. So we've turned the whole situation. All those people are now regulars and they're actually supporting us even now through COVID. They're supporting us so much. And we, we love them. We love that Glebe community. What sort of food are you cooking uh, there these days? Okay, so these days, um, I'm not going to talk about before COVID. These days, um, we first time never thought I was going to do a set menu. Um, we've, got a, we've got a set menu. And I went extremely lean. We've got three starter, four main course, three desserts. And we try to rotate the menu as, as much as we can. Um, but that's it. It's a very straightforward. Um, we had to move. We had to really readjust the whole business model since um, the first lockdown, I think, 15 months ago. Um, and really turned the whole business. What sort of impact has the last year and a half had on, on you? Look, we, with my business partner, we call it the COVID blessing for us. We've got, we actually got blessed by that situation because I was starting to go mad with dreaming of, you know, those um, hat restaurants and our menu was insane. We had like, you know, five, six starters and really proposing a lot of a high quality and my food costing was terrible. Um, the staff costing was terrible. We were like 35, 40%, uh, 40% staff. There was, and we were actually hitting the wall. And and the COVID just gave us the chance to look, swim or die. And we decided to swim. We reshaped everything. We just simply have formula for the for the business now. We've opened a cafe just on the bay, which is doing absolutely fantastic. The takeaway line is just picked up as well, magically. And we've done that set menu. We preserve the stuff, and we just really, um, yeah, we're actually blissful of that because we were not going to be, we were, we were being out, we were being definitely uh, closed by now. Food has always been a, an important part of your life, but but what does it mean to you, and, and what do you love about what you do? Look, what I love about what I do now, I actually switched now for the past couple of years uh, from. Still, still being a chef, but also now you're more like a business owner after opening two, three, four restaurants. You really step into a different world where you really um, understand that it has to be, it's a business decision, it's a business first. And the business is to, unfortunately, to, to make money. So the food, I've got fantastic people working with me. Um, we're trying to really follow our guideline in terms of, you know, of costing and, and try to, um, you know, like when you cook beef, I'm not, you know, you stay away from the ice filet, all those luxury cut and really try to um, to really get into um, something where we can survive. And, and, and it's fantastic where you can, where we can come out with, you know, a good, great creativity on, 
on the stubble food. Well, Antoine, it's great to hear a success coming out of uh, COVID and difficult times. Uh, it's been great to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Uh, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Fantastic. Thank you very much. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.